And so January 22nd, 1979, an R&B group named Sister Sledge came out with the hit song titled, We Are Family. You see, the song, it speaks to the relationship that these sisters have with each other. You see, their familial relationship was one that was marked by love, and it was evident when everyone saw them being around each other. You see, this song, it is a celebratory song, and this hit song, it is played and danced to at many family reunions. I remember growing up, uh, this song was in our homes, and this song was a song we played when we were at our own family reunion. And this song, as you really think about it, it strikes a chord because family should have the strongest bond of relationships. And this is why this song is just so special and so important. And many of us, we love this song because it speaks to the type of relationships that family should have with one another. Well, as we come into our passage this morning, we will see that Jesus creates a new family in the kingdom of God. And as strong of bond as biological relationships are, there should be an even stronger bond in the kingdom of God, in the family of God. An entrance into this family is not based on biology. It's not based on blood, but it's based on how one responds to Jesus. And so Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 35, please stand for the reading of God's word. Jesus entered a house and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, he's out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his possessions. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. His mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. You may be seated. And so our big idea this morning for this passage is this, that Jesus redefines family based on one's response to him. Our big idea is this, that Jesus redefines family based on one's response to him. In our passage, it can be broken up into two scenes. The first scene, we will see Jesus respond to his rejection The second scene, we'll see Jesus redefines family. And so Jesus responds to his rejection. 
And then secondly, Jesus redefines family. And so the first point, or the first scene, Jesus responds to his rejection. Look at verses 20 and 21. It says, Jesus entered a house and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, he's out of his mind. And so Jesus and his disciples, they are likely back at Capernaum. And more than likely, they're at Peter and Andrew's crib. And so the word of their return has traveled throughout the city. And crowds usually, especially in Capernaum, they gather around when Jesus is there. Well, this time, it wouldn't be any different. And so everyone gathered around Jesus in the house to where Jesus wasn't even able to eat, wasn't even able to enjoy a meal. But not only did the crowd come to Jesus, but his own family members came to him. And they came for a different reason. You see, Jesus wasn't able to eat, and so they concluded that Jesus wasn't taking care of himself. And so they want to get him. And where it says that they set out to restrain him, the Greek word for restrain, it gets at them trying to bind him. They try to arrest Jesus, to forcefully bring him home and deprive him of his freedom. And did you see the reason they tried to restrain Jesus? It says because they said that he is out of his mind. You see, they thought Jesus has gone nuts. They thought that, some people say that they thought he has gone cuckoo. They thought he's gone bonkers. And why would they draw this conclusion about Jesus? After all, he is their relatives. Well, the thing is, they drew this conclusion about him because they did not yet believe in him at that time, especially and specifically his brothers. You see, John chapter 7, verses 3 to 5, makes known that during Jesus' earthly ministry, his brothers didn't even believe in him. And so they were opposing him and rejecting him. And this opposition reveals their beliefs concerning Jesus. You see, their true colors were shown. And some of us, as we read this opposition, we can relate to this experience. You see, many of us in our own congregation know the pain and the hurt of being opposed and rejected by family for following Jesus. You see, the very people who should love, support, protect, and defend us have done the very opposite to us because we follow Jesus. You see, we've, some of us have received this from family, and the reason why we receive this from family is because our family members don't follow Jesus. You see, John chapter 15, Jesus makes known to his followers, he says, don't be surprised when the world hates you on account of following him. And as true as that is, the persecution from family has a real sting. It hurts when we're persecuted and opposed from our own people, from our own relatives. Some of us are the only Christians in our family. And our families, they believe that we too have gone nuts for following Jesus. Some of us have been questioned by our family, and some of our family members have shown contempt towards us. Some of them were upset at us because we've chosen a good local church over a career. Others of us have been opposed by our family members saying that they don't want anything to do with Jesus. 
And they, don't, they might not even want anything to do with us because we follow him. Beloved, as painful as that is, know that Jesus knows from experience this very rejection and this very opposition. Know that God is a God of all comfort and that he comforts us in our hurts. And so we can cast these hurts upon the Lord knowing that he cares for us. Look at verse 22, where it says, The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. You see, not only was Jesus opposed by his own relatives, he was also opposed by Israel's religious leaders. You see, the scribes who taught the word of God in the synagogue, what they did here, they, they did here is they opposed Jesus. It says they traveled to Capernaum from Jerusalem, and they gave their malicious judgment concerning Jesus. And as you see, they gave two accusations concerning him. First is that they said that he is possessed by Beelzebul. And secondly, they say that he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. You see, what is here, what we see is that the scribes did not believe in Jesus. They didn't believe that he came from God. They didn't believe that he's the Messiah and that he's the son of God. But now they believed him to be demon possessed. They believe that he is under the sway of Satan, that he is a worker of Satan. You see, they believe that his mission was demonic. They said that he is possessed by Beelzebul. And Beelzebul was believed to be the ruler of demons or the prince of demons. Others would say that it may be another name for Satan himself. And so they thought that the source of Jesus' authority wasn't from God, but from Satan. And so therefore, in their minds, Jesus and his works are deceptive and demonic. His message shouldn't be believed and he shouldn't be trusted. And though they they make these faulty accusations, the reality is they have zero evidence to prove this claim. Such accusation is far from the truth because Jesus wasn't possessed by Beelzebul. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. You see, in Mark chapter 1, after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, it says that the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And not only was Jesus possessed and anointed by the Spirit, but he was also led by the very same Holy Spirit. And Jesus' message, he preached the nearness of the kingdom of God and called people to repent and believe And it's by the power of the Spirit that he demonstrated the nearness of God's kingdom. He casted out demons. And though all of this is true, what we see is that these religious leaders straight up opposed him. They straight up rejected him. You see, the thing is, if this was a court scene, the irrefutable evidence of Jesus' mighty acts would lead to a unanimous decision that he is anointed by the Holy Spirit. It'll prove that he doesn't work for Satan, but rather he is the Messiah. But the scribes, they would still hold on to that conclusion. Despite the evidence, they would see the evidence, and rather than accepting it as proof that he's the Messiah, they would only explain it away. It's like in the movie Richard Jewell about the 1996 bomb, Olympic bombing in Atlanta, Georgia. You see, Jewel, he was a security guard, and he found the bomb and kept the bomb for being as destructive. Yet, 
The police eventually, they blame Richard Jewell for the bombing. And despite the irrefutable evidence of Jewell's innocence, Detective Tom Shaw persisted that Jewell was guilty. You see, Jewell, he wasn't a terrorist. He was a hero. But in Detective Shaw's mind, he refused to believe Jewell's innocence. Despite evidence, he would only say and conclude and persist that Jewell was guilty. And beloved, what we see from the illustration of Detective Shaw and what we see from the scribes, what this demonstrates is that seeing doesn't always lead to believing. You see, some people nowadays would say that if I would have seen Jesus cast out demons or if I would have seen Jesus with my own eyes, I would have seen him resurrect from the grave, then I would believe in him. When reality is that is not true at all. You see, the scribes witnessed Jesus' mighty acts. Did you see? They even confessed to Jesus' ability to drive out demons. Yet, they concluded that Satan was the source of his authority. You see, the thing is, beloved, a hard heart will reject Jesus, despite the evidence that reveals that he's the Son of God. They will persist in their hardness of heart, and they would refuse to believe in him. And this is why we need the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. You see, we need to be regenerated before we believe. You see, without the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, our hearts would remain hard. We'd remain spiritually blind, and we too would have rejected Jesus, just like the scribes. And so they say that he is possessed by Beelzebul, and that he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. Look how Jesus responds. Look at verse 23. It says, so he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? So the first thing we see is that Jesus, he responds to this erroneous and hostile claim with parables. He asked them a question. He said, how can Satan drive out Satan? And this is exactly what they were getting at. And so it makes, and what Jesus is getting at, he says that it makes zero sense at all. You see, Jesus' response, it speaks to the erroneous judgment that they made. Their verdict is illogical and senseless. It's as illogical as after watching the movie, say, Avengers Endgame, after watching the movie, you would conclude that though the Avengers opposed and fought against Thanos, they actually worked for him. Someone who makes that claim, you'll probably hear that, you probably look at them like they're crazy. You'd probably be like, did you actually watch the movie? Because where are you getting that from? There is zero evidence of that to be true. That claim makes no sense at all. And that's exactly what Jesus is getting at as he responds to them. He's saying, why would Satan drive out his own minions? This claim is foolish, stupid, makes no sense. And Jesus' answer, what he does is he exposes the folly of their verdict. Look at verses 24 to 26. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If Satan is divided against itself, well, no, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is finished. And so Jesus, what he's getting at is that Internal strife in a kingdom or a house has no stability at all. 
You see, he says, if there's a divided kingdom, then that divided kingdom is unstable and weak. It will not endure, but it will bring about its own demise. And he says the very same thing in verse 25. As he says, if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. You see, if a divided house will only crumble. There is no strength or stability where there is division and internal strife. It will not stand and endure, but it would only self-implode. It's like the 2018-2019 Golden State Warriors team when players Draymond Green and Kevin Durant got into a heated argument on the bench. You see, what happened after that, a number of games, was the team imploded for quite some time. They kept losing because there was internal strife within the own organization. You see, where there is division and internal strife, things will only self-destruct. That's what Jesus is getting at. And he says the very, he gets at that even in verse 26. And he says, and if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is finished. You see, it's the same with Satan. You see, if their, their logic is this, and Jesus is getting at it, he says, if Jesus casted out demons by Satan's power, Satan would be divided. His kingdom would collapse and self-destruct. He would oppose himself and destroy himself by his very own power. And this is why their accusations were illogical, because Satan didn't oppose himself. He wasn't divided, and his kingdom didn't self-implode. Verse 27 makes known what's actually happening, where Jesus says, but if he says, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. And so Jesus, he explains what's happening. He's saying that, that Jesus didn't drive out demons by Satan's power, but rather Jesus came to bind Satan and plunder his possessions. You see, in this parable, Satan is the strong man. As we think about it, Satan really is strong. Scripture says that he is the God of this world. It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, that the world lies under his sway. It says in Romans chapter 12 that we shouldn't be conformed to the patterns of this world. And the reason is because the world system is demonic and opposes Satan. You see, the world, the world system, it fought, well, it don't oppose Satan, it opposes God, and it follows Satan. See, Satan is the strong man. And truth be told, beloved, from birth, we were Satan's spiritual children. We were under his power, under the domain of darkness, until the Lord saved us by his grace. We couldn't free ourselves. We needed to be freed. And as powerful as Satan is, Jesus is making known that he is infinitely mightier than Satan. You see, Satan is the strong man, but Jesus is the strong son of God. You see, he is the only one who can bind Satan, the strong man. And he has proven that he is stronger than Satan. You see, after Jesus' baptism, he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan. We saw that in Mark chapter 1. And what we saw 
is that Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness. He didn't succumb to the temptations. But not only did Jesus defeat Satan in the wilderness, what we see throughout his earthly ministry is that Jesus continuously and repeatedly defeated Satan. You see, Jesus remains undefeated. He casted out demons, each and every one of them. He would silence them and speak to them, and they would come out. They had to submit to him. And what he is doing is he is showing his authority over Satan. And so Jesus is greater. Satan is no match for the Son of God. And what we see is that Jesus, he embodied the kingdom of God, and he entered into this world, the very world where Satan is the ruler. And what Jesus does is he binds Satan and defeats him. You see, this parable in verse 27, it, it speaks to, it summarizes Jesus' mission. That he came to bind Satan and plunder his goods. First John chapter 3, verse 8 makes known that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of Satan. And so he has bound him, but then he also plunders him. It says that he that word plunders gets at he seized, taken away Satan's possessions. And such work demonstrates that the kingdom of God has drawn near. And when it talks about him plundering Satan's possessions, this alludes to Isaiah chapter 49, verses 24 to 26, where the Lord himself will rescue captives from tyrant warriors. You see, Isaiah 49, 24 through 26, it is fulfilled by Jesus Christ, the Lord himself who came to rescue, came to rescue the captives. From Satan's possessions. He can, now, yeah, he came to free Satan's prisoners. You see, beloved, Satan has been bound. He's been bound by Jesus. Well, what does it mean that Satan has been bound? Well, Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 and 3 speak to the fact that he has been bound to where he is no longer able to deceive the nations. You see, he can no longer keep the nations from seeing who God is and believing the gospel when it is preached. You see, the gospel can advance and be embraced by people of all nations. In fact, in Acts chapter 26, verses 14 to 18, the Lord Jesus summarized Paul's apostolic ministry in this way. He says that I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, as Paul preached the gospel, God's elect, sinners whom God has chosen, they would be released from Satan's bondage and be saved by the grace of God. They believed the gospel and they were saved. You see, since Satan has been bound, we can unashamedly preach Christ with confidence. We can trust that God will save his people in his timing. You see, as we preach the gospel, God will shine, the, God will shine light into their hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, as the gospel is preached and as sinners repent and believe, they will be delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And so, beloved, may we preach Christ crucified. May we advance the gospel. You see, Satan has been bound. You see, Satan can't keep God from saving his people. 
like a prison guard can't keep an acquitted prisoner from walking free. And what this does, this, this reality should fuel our evangelism like gasoline on a fire. Because as we preach the gospel, God will save his people in his timing. So may we be faithful. Since Satan has been bound, may we not let the gospel be bound. But may we unashamedly preach and pray and trust that Jesus Christ will save his people. Look at verses 28 to 30. He says, Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And so Jesus continues his response to their illogical verdict. And here what we see is that he gives a a sweet promise of mercy and a sober warning. He says that people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. What a sweet promise of mercy. You see, Jesus promises forgiveness for all sins to all who repent of them. How many sins, he say? He says all of them. The Greek word for all is all. Racism, pornography, lying, slander, bitterness, you name it, Jesus is promising forgiveness. Even the serious sin of blasphemy, which is to defame or speak profanely of sacred things and of God himself. Beloved, do you hear the merciful promise that Jesus has uttered? He says that sins will be forgiven. We'll be freed from sin's guilt and consequences. Why? Because Jesus would go to that old rugged cross and he would die for all of those sins. And three days later, he would resurrect from the grave and all who repent and trust in him will be completely forgiven. You see, Jesus promises forgiveness. And if Jesus promises forgiveness, you can be assured that if you repent and trust in him, then you will be forgiven. And so this is the sweet promise of mercy that Jesus gives. But he also gives a sober warning. He says this, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And so Jesus, he gives a sober warning. He says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit is guilty of an eternal sin. You see, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. All sins can be forgiven but this one. And this is what the religious leaders were in danger of doing. You see, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to attribute to Satan the redemptive and saving work of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. It is an attitude that persists in hostility towards God. And it rejects Jesus' saving work through the Spirit. It is to persistently call Jesus' redemptive work evil. It's like reading through the Gospels and labeling the works of Jesus as wicked. Jesus says that this sin will not be forgiven. And those who commit this sin will suffer the wrath of God for eternity. You see, those who commit this sin... Their hearts are like bedrooms without windows, so dark, 
light will not shine in there. And their hearts are so hard that they would not repent and trust in the only one who would save and who can save. But they would label him evil and wicked and his works deceptive. And so God, in response, he will judge, condemn them for eternity. And he says this because they were saying that he has an unclean spirit. And as we read these strong words of Jesus, it can be easy to wonder if I've committed this sin. Well, beloved, let me assure you, if you are concerned about whether or not you've committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that just might be evidence of potential repentance and proof that you probably haven't. Because an extremely hard heart will not question whether or not they've done it. But they will persist in continuously doing it. And beloved, may we not commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And the best way to see to it that we don't commit this sin, in my opinion, one of the best ways is that by the grace of God, we pray and we remain in awe of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we pray that our love for him would only grow and never cool or go cold. You see, if our love for Christ inflames that we will only rejoice in the saving work through the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't call it wicked. We wouldn't attribute it to Satan, but we would pray for more of it and celebrate it when we see it. So may we pray for our hearts to only grow in love for Christ. May we celebrate when we see his saving work through the Holy Spirit. And may we pray for more. Because as we do that, then by the grace of God, we won't blaspheme. We won't ever call his works wicked. We call it righteous, holy, good, and we long for more of it. So may that be what we do. So we've seen Jesus respond to his rejection, but now we will see Jesus redefine family. Look at verses 31 and 32, where it says, His mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, They sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside asking for you. And so Jesus' family, they arrived to the house, but they were standing outside. Their plan to bind Jesus has been thwarted, and rightfully so, because no one can bind Jesus. And so they call after him. Inside the house, you have those who are sitting around Jesus, listening to him as he teaches. And they tell Jesus, they say, yo, Jesus, your kinfolk is outside asking for you. Look how Jesus responds. Verse 33 to 35, he says, he replied to them, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And so Jesus, he responds with the question, who are my mother and my brothers? And he says that those who are sitting around him doing the will of God is his family. You see, his kinfolk is those who are doing the will of God. And friends, notice and peep the setting Jesus' biological family is outside calling for him, where you have a number of people inside, sitting inside the house, sitting around Jesus, 
And he says, y'all are my kin. Well, what is Jesus saying? Did he dissolve family relationships? Not at all. What Jesus is doing is he's creating a new family. You see, in the kingdom of God, there will be a family. And all who are in the kingdom of God will be his brother, his sister, and his mother. And not only will we be his brother and sister and mother, but we will also be each other's brothers and sisters. You see, we'll be the family of faith, unrelated relatives. You see, this is a spiritual family. The household of faith is what the scriptures would say. And what he's getting at is that we are to prioritize our commitment to Jesus and to one another. You see, the commitment to one another and the intimacy in this family should exceed our biological family. This is the household of faith and the family of God. Well, beloved, who is in this family? Jesus says, those who are sitting around him who are doing the will of God. You see, it is the apostles and the crowd. Who get to be, who, how does, who gets to be in this family? Well, Jesus answers, he says, whoever. And whoever means whoever. Anyone, Jew, Gentile, red, yellow, black, or white, male and female, rich and poor, people in the suburbs and people in the hood, it don't even matter. What he's saying is all without distinction, adults and children can be in this family. Well, how does one get into this family? He says it is through doing the will of God. You see, anyone who does the will of God is in the family of God. And when he says doing the will of God, he is not getting at working one's way into the family of God. You see, in this context, doing the will of God is to believe in Jesus, to believe the gospel, to follow him for all of our days and to sit at his feet. You see, the person who does the will of God, he is in the family of God. And when he says, you, he says, doing the will of God, that means that you yourself must do the will of God in order to be in the family of God. You see, you can't do the will of God for someone else and get them into this messianic community. I can't do the will of God for my cousin, and I can't do the will of God for my children. They themselves must do the will of God in order to be in the family of God. Each person who does the will of God who believes in Jesus, will be in the family, this messianic community, the church, will be Jesus' brothers and his sisters and his mother, and we'll be each other's brothers and sisters. You see, entrance into this family is not based on biology, but it's based on belief. It depends not on your family tree, but on your faith in Jesus. It depends on how one responds to Jesus Christ. And the proper response is not to restrain him like his family did. It's not to reject him like the scribes did, but it's to receive him and to believe in him. John chapter 1 verse 12 makes known that, but to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so, beloved, may we not reject Jesus But may we do his will. May we believe in him and follow him. Beloved, we who trust in Jesus Christ, we are part of the family of God. And as diverse as the family of God is, we have a similar family trait. That trait is obedience. 
You see what Jesus says? Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. You see, we may look different. We may have nothing in common. But by the grace of God, we have the family trait of faith, which is worked out through our obedience. You see, by the grace of God, we strive to obey the commands of God and follow Jesus for all of our days. And and when we sin, we are grieved and we obey the command to, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, beloved, we who trust in Jesus Christ, we are family. That is what we are. And since we are family, how should we live? Well, how does family normally interact with one another? Family loves one another. Family is there for each other. You see, you can call on family when you're down and out, and you will receive encouragement. Family bears one another's burdens. Family has an open-door policy into their homes. Family spends time together. Family sacrifices for one another. You see, when you don't have food to eat and you can't make your ends meet, family is the one who steps in and helps you get on your feet. You see, family speaks the truth to one another. Family strives to protect one another. Family celebrates one another's joys and weep with one another's sorrows. Family checks in on one another. Well, beloved, if this is what family does with each other, then how much more should we who are the family of faith do this together? Beloved, since we are members of Midtown Baptist Church, we who are the family who makes up this church, this is what we should do and more with each other. You see, there should be a greater depth of relationship at Midtown Baptist Church because we are family. This bond should be, this bond here should be stronger than our own bond in our biological family because we are of the household of faith. Beloved, we are family. And I think we understand this theoretically, but I don't think we always live like family. You see, it seems like the church may treat one another more like neighbors and strangers than actual brothers and sisters. You see, there may be times when when we're selective with whom we want to be brothers and sisters too in our own congregation. Sometimes we treat family as if we have to like them before we be a brother and sister to them. And beloved, this should not be what marks our church at all. It shouldn't be what marks any Christian. Because Jesus says that those who do the will of God is part of the family of God. And yet nowadays, it seems like we've tried to add to that soul stipulation. Sometimes we treat it as if it is those who do the will of God and who is in the same season as us. Or those who do the will of God and have a number of things in common, whatever those commonalities may be. Well, beloved, may we not add to the stipulation. Jesus says that it is those who do the will of God are his brothers and sisters. Those who do the will of God are the family of God. And so we who are part of the family of God, may we regard one another as brothers and sisters, and may we do the will of God together. You see, as we intentionally live like the family of God, the watching world will see it, 
and it'll point them to Christ, our big brother. They'll see an unrelated people live closer than biological family relatives. And what it does is it testifies to the power of the gospel. So may we live like a family. I'll conclude on this. Did you guys notice the interesting thing about the second part of our section? Is that Jesus' biological family were outsiders of the family of God because of their unbelief. And the thing is, they didn't remain outsiders. You see, the ones who said that he's out of his mind were the same ones who were praying with the apostles in Acts 1 after Jesus ascended to heaven. You see, by the grace of God, they repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. His very own half-brother James became an apostle and wrote the book of James. His other half-brother Jude wrote the book of Jude. You see, they formally said that Jesus was out of his mind, but they were martyred because they said that Jesus Christ is Lord who died and resurrected from the grave. And beloved, I know that many of us have relatives who don't know Jesus. And we are praying for them to repent and believe and be a part of the family of God. Well, let me encourage you with this, beloved. Do not stop praying. Do not stop sowing seeds and watering them. Pray for open doors for the gospel to be proclaimed and walk through those doors when the Lord gives opportunities. Pray for God to place many Christians around your family members and that those Christians would share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that God would do a regenerating work in their hearts, that they would be born again and believe in Jesus Christ. Because God can still do that saving work in the lives of your family members. Just as God saved Jesus' biological family, just as God has saved us when we were unbelievers, well, God can still do that saving work in the lives of your family members. So, beloved, do not lose hope. Do not stop praying with faith because Jesus can save. Beloved, while there is breath in their lungs, there is still hope for salvation. So don't give up. It may be hard. It may be difficult. We may cry many times because of our family family member's spiritual state. But God can still save them. We weren't more lost than them. And God saved us. So persist in prayer and persist in preaching. Share the gospel and do so with hope, trusting, knowing that God can save and pray for God to save. And if you're not a Christian, the invitation is for you to do the will of God by trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. You see, the right response to Jesus is not to restrain him or reject him, but to receive him by faith. Trust that he is the Son of God who came down and died for sins and resurrected from the grave. The Bible says that if you do that, you will be forgiven. Earlier, we saw Jesus promise forgiveness of all sins for the repentant. I would implore you this very day, repent and trust in him 
For then you will be brought into the family of God. And saints, we are family. See, that song is our song because of Jesus Christ. He has made us family. And so may we do the will of God together as a family and live like a family for the glory of God, doing the will of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for the grace that you've lavished upon us in Christ. How you have regenerated us by your spirit, caused us to be born again, led us to trust Jesus Christ for salvation, and you have adopted us into your family, where you are our Father. Jesus is our big brother, and we, the saints, are fellow brothers and sisters. Lord, help us by your grace to do your will, and may we do it for your glory. And Lord, we pray that you would bring more people into this family, and that people would respond to the gospel with faith and repentance, save knowing that nothing is too hard for you. So we pray that you would do it. In Jesus' name, amen.